0: You decide to go to the bar after work with an acquaintance, someone you kind of know, but you'd like to know better. Not in a romantic way, but just as a friend. So you have a couple of drinks, and you talk about the weather, maybe some sports, try out a few of your best lame jokes, and you ask them a few questions about their past. And then you propose something a little different. To stare, unflinchingly, into each other's eyes for four whole minutes. Will this make you best friends forever? Or will it be the most awkward experience you've ever had? Well, you're going to find out, because that's what's happening today on Relate. I'm Tamara Stanners, and this is Relate by Zendesk. And this week's relationship is, well, I guess you could say it's engineered. Andy, what's happening with this one?
1: Well, do you remember a couple years ago...
0: This is producer Andy Shepard,
1: right, by the way. Right, So a couple years ago, there was this New York Times uh, Modern Love column where they picked up on the work of two researchers, uh, Arthur and Elaine Aaron. Anyway, this column went viral.
0: This is the one... Where they suggested if you do like this questionnaire that they can get people to fall in love.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. And the questions are interesting. They start out very basic, you know, like questions like do you want to be famous or, you know, when was the last time you sang to yourself? But then they move to, you know, more probing ones like, you know, tell me about your childhood. And they get, they get more intense and personal
0: Right. The idea being that sharing your innermost thoughts and your feelings and motivations is what makes people fall in love with you.
1: Exactly. And the questions are designed to make you slowly disclose more and more about yourself. And then over the course of the questionnaire, you know, bam, that vulnerability and that honesty that the questions pull out sort of woos the other person and, and vice versa. And it had a huge impact on Lots of people, including Sasha Chapin, a writer in Toronto.
2: Yeah, I read it, and it was sort of a revelation to me because the idea of engineering a relationship really appealed to me. So this idea that you could answer a series of questions and it was almost like a magic spell you were casting that would create closeness and intimacy and camaraderie, that was very appealing.
1: But here's the thing. Sasha didn't want to use it for romance. He wanted to use it for bromance.
2: I was in my late 20s, 26, I think. And I had been working a lot on various things, on my writing, and I was working full-time. And I sort of woke up one summer and I was like, where are all my friends? Like, I have 1.5 friends. That's not the number of friends a person should have.
0: Is it really that hard for men to make friends?
1: I don't know. I mean, I don't want to generalize, but I think it's it's safe to say that male friendship is is different. You know, there's research out there that shows that men don't have, you know, quite as many friends as women and, and that often those relationships, you know, aren't as intense. Um, but it's not that Sasha didn't want male friends. It's the opposite. It's something that, he you know, was always on his mind ever since he was a kid.
2: The idea of friendship was really strange. Uh, I watched other people do it. um, And was kind of like watching a plane fly and thinking, well, it would be really nice to fly. I didn't feel personally equipped to pursue social relationships, but I wanted them all the time.
1: So Sasha was a self-described nerd and kids were tough on him. He got bullied a lot.
2: Yeah, I was uh, both brash and insensitive, but also very emotional. And I would do things to get people's attention, but I don't really think about whether those things were fun for other people. Like I would play the ukulele and I learned to throw um, playing cards at one point, like magicians can throw playing cards, and I would like throw playing cards at people. Um, Sounds to me that he's pretty fun, but I I get it. Being a kid is super hard,
0: especially when you're a, a bit of a square peg.
2: Well, I mean, he managed some friendships here and there. My first male friend um, was this guy, Liam. And Liam was really, really sweet. And our friendship was largely um, Nintendo-based. We didn't really talk about anything because kids don't really have anything to talk about. Um, And we were into different music. But we shared um, Street Fighter and Mario Kart in common which is a really good vessel for friendship for two young, insecure guys. In university, I think I grew into my eccentricities a little bit. I started dating um, in a furtive teenage way, and I took on sort of a persona that was acceptable to other people, um, which was, I was really pretentious and full of myself, but I think in a way that was occasionally charming. And I was in a literature program where a lot of people were trying to be pretentious and verbose um, and self-consciously like smart kids. And I fit that role pretty well, I think.
1: And there was one good thing about being a nerdy intellectual when he got to university. I mean, Sasha started to hit it off with the ladies. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, well, you know, his, his emotion and his confidence, the stuff that plagued him when he was a kid, was actually quite appealing to the opposite sex.
2: I was good at acquiring relationships, romantic relationships, if not hanging onto them, Bad at hanging onto them, but good at getting girls to hang out with me for a while. And there was something very different about that because obviously romantic relationships aren't inherently competitive. One thing that had gotten in my way a lot in terms of male friendships is we couldn't help comparing our level of success and our level of social confidence. Um, Romantic relationships are cooperative and exploratory by nature. And I'd found it hard to attain that sort of non-judgmental love with a male friend.
0: Okay, so now he's hoping that this fall-in-love questionnaire will help him find friends, male friends. So Sasha had his eye on a few
1: what you might call friend candidates that he thought he could try out the questionnaire with.
2: So at the end of this process, I found a guy. um, We can just call him Andy. It was you. (laughs) <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. I mean, I, you know, I would have been
1: game. It just, it just happens to be the pseudonym okay. that, that he chose.
2: And everything about him was appealing. I liked his style. I liked the aesthetic he presented to the world. I really liked his writing. Um, and he had this approach to masculinity that I really identified with. I really liked his approach to being alive. He's a writer and he has an Instagram and he has a Twitter and I sort of stalked him on the internet. He had a lot of pictures of him lifting weights or pictures at the gym and I really liked them because they were sort of goofy photos, like he was sort of making fun of himself for being like a weightlifting dude. I was in exactly the same position, like I I went to the gym a lot, I go to the gym a lot But I've never felt fully identified with, like, dudes who bench 300 pounds and talk about lifting all the time. So we were both sort of nerds who lifted weights. I like that.
1: So all he needed to do was ask him out.
2: He found himself at the same work
1: function and he went for it.
2: I felt really anxious about it. I felt like I was asking a lot. But I sort of made the words leave my mouth. I said, there's this questionnaire that was invented by a psychologist. This questionnaire apparently makes people fall in love. I want to attain a close friendship. Do you want to do this crazy thing with me?
0: And?
1: He said yes. So Sasha chose a cocktail bar downtown. He wanted the mood to be just right, which is pretty cute, you know, because they're supposed to fall
2: in friend love. My ideal friend was someone I could do anything with. I mean, I've never really had fun. Like, I've always been kind of a workaholic, but I wanted someone um, I could share my writing with, someone I could talk to all the time, Um basically someone with whom I could be in a sort of perpetual mutual therapy session with.
1: And so the date begins.
2: It had exactly the same feeling of tension that a first date would. I sat down and I ordered a drink and everything felt like a gesture in the way that it does when you're very self-conscious. The cocktail I ordered... I wondered what it would say about me. And I pulled out my phone and I I looked at my phone. Um, I wasn't really looking at anything on my phone. I was just trying to seem like I was doing something other than anxiously waiting for Andy.
0: Oh, I just feel so nervous for him. Like first date time. Ah!
2: I know, me too.
1: But Andy arrived and, you know, it actually got off to a good start. I remember
2: he was wearing this black fluffy sweater and these thick retro glasses, and he looked really eccentric, but also really put together, and he was very warm, very warm.
1: And so they got right into it. They started off with, you know, the more banal questions, and and Sasha was pleasantly surprised that his date was opening up. They were both a bit nervous, but they were, they were both into it. And then the more intense questions started coming.
2: There's a question, if you could wake up tomorrow having gained any one quality or ability, what would it be? And the question is sort of inherently scary because you're admitting that you're incomplete. You're admitting that you're not who you want to be. I was both really worried that, That would destroy the potential friendship. But at the same time, I was thinking, well, a lot of my friendships haven't worked out so far. So maybe I need to take drastic measures. Maybe it's good that this is scary and unusual. At that moment, it felt like some boundaries were broken and we were sort of alone with each other in a world of our own, saying things that we wouldn't normally say and feeling things we might normally avoid feeling.
1: And then, as if it couldn't get any more intense.
2: At the end of the questionnaire, there's this other stage where you make two to four minutes of unbroken eye contact with your partner. Um, And the New York Times article recommended four minutes. So we did four minutes. It was barely describable. I mean, throughout the animal kingdom, eye contact is sort of an intense thing. Um, You're not supposed to stare at gorillas in the zoo because it makes them angry. Eye contact can be a display of vulnerability or a display of of dominance. Um, Sociopaths stare a lot. And when you make eye contact with someone for that long, it really breaks down a sense that you're mediating who you are, that you're presenting a version of yourself. You're just breathing, shaking, vulnerable animal. And the other person is too. Oh,
0: wow. So... How do you end a friend date like
2: that one?
1: Well, I guess, you know, like most good dates end, they made plans to see each other again.
2: Well, um, we made plans to watch sumo wrestling because Andy's a big sumo wrestling fan.
0: Come on, you're sure you're not the same Andy in this story?
2: I, you know, I,
1: I do love me some sumo <laughs> wrestling, but, but no.
2: Uh, apparently there was some sort of significant event in the sumo world coming up shortly after our date. And then we just said um, goodbye. I really hoped that we would see each other again. I really hoped that this would be the first step in developing um, a profound new friendship. And I walked away from the date feeling, um, as the questionnaire promises, a great sense of intimacy and a real sense of fondness. Andy had really been revealed to me, and I really liked what was revealed. It's not like I, I was foreseeing um, a friendship where, you know, every time we hung out, it would be like um, a series of insane revelations about our character. Um, I hoped that it could be a combination of the stuff where we were we could be together and have a sense that we really knew a lot about each other's most, um, like inmost fears and beliefs, but at the same time we could just watch sumo wrestling. Like a friendship that was really malleable was what I was hoping for. You know, like when I was a when I was young, I had that friendship with Liam that was all about N64. Um, I was hoping that we could both bond emotionally on a really deep level and just play N64 and hang out, maybe go to the gym together. You know. And then, unfortunately, the friendship didn't really happen. I mean, it happened in the sense that Andy and I continue to be acquaintances. And I think we have a really deep bond now, in a way. But we also don't, like, hang out regularly. We don't see each other that much
0: no, that was not supposed to happen. I don't get it. I totally thought this was going to be the perfect way to get a bromance.
1: I know, I, I thought so too. But I guess part of it was neither of them was really making a move to keep it going. You know, And Sasha started to think that it might have something to do with his own conflicting
2: needs. Like in a certain way, I prefer loneliness. I prefer the comfort of loneliness. I think I want vulnerability. But I want... I have a conflicting set of desires where I both want vulnerability and I want to be free with somebody, but I also want to be a control freak and manage what other people think of me. And those desires are sort of mutually exclusive. I'm hesitant to make bold proclamations about male friendship in general, but I don't think it's controversial to say that men tend to be more Selfish, competitive, and private um, than women are. And I think there are a lot of male instincts that have to be overcome. Yeah, I am sort of still on the lookout for a perfect male friend. Even though I know it's contrary to some of my inclinations, in the same way that, you know, you want to be a different kind of person sometimes you can recognize you have desires but that those desires are also maladaptive. I have mixed feelings in the sense that I think the attributes that lead me to be sort of lonely, like self-reliance and being sort of cerebral and being a workaholic, they have positive outcomes too, like I get a lot of work done and I... mm, I'm okay with being alone, but I know that eventually I won't be okay with being alone. I'll need somebody. So it gives me this awareness that I'm going to have to transcend some of my desires and inhibitions to be a happy person.
0: Sasha Chapin is a writer currently living in Toronto. Big thanks to Lily Ames for that interview with Sasha Chapin and for helping to produce that piece. So maybe you're not going to go out and engineer friendships with a giant questionnaire and a staring contest, but there are a lot of ways that asking good questions can improve your relationships. Check out this article on the Relate online magazine. It's called Your 21st Century Challenge put away the technology and ask better questions. And it gets at all the ways that good questions can lead to meaningful conversations and deeper relationships. You can find it at relate.zendesk.com. That's it for relate this week. Next week, you may know the contentious TV show 13 Reasons Why about the teenager who takes her own life, but not before leaving messages for the people who hurt her or let her down. Well, we've got a rather more uplifting story called 13 Reasons Why Not, about a group of students who've made a habit of announcing messages to the people who support them and keep them going during those tricky high school years. That's next week on Relate. In the meantime, subscribe to Relate on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and that way you won't miss an episode. We've got lots more articles on connecting to your customers in deeper ways at relate.zendesk.com. And if you want to explore technology built to improve your customer interactions, head over to zendesk.com for a free trial. I'm Tamara Stanners. Talk to you soon.